Welcome back to another episode of The Procast. I'm your host, Dario. And I'm Randy. And today we're going to talk about our favorite bass players. Stay tuned. Yeah, finally, we are together again doing an episode and and, um, it's going to be a very fun talk about our favorite bass players. I'm super excited to... uh, I I have some... some, uh, Guesses. (laughs) Guesses, because we we don't... We we haven't updated each other which which bass players we chose. Um, We're both... Bass players. I mean, Randy is a bit more of a bass player than I am. Before we dive into all that, um, I just wanted to uh, let you all know out there uh, who are uh, sus- subscribed to us on the pro- podcast um, channels, check out our socials on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Procast Podcast. Uh, a very um, faithful listener. Uh, Helen told me that she had no idea that we have a, our own socials now, but she yeah. follows us and listens to every episode. So, um, and she just uh, found out like uh, uh, two days ago with uh, the Blackbriar episode that I did, uh, and she follows the uh, the band, and and so she saw that we now got our own socials. So <laughs> be sure to follow us there. Um, that's a bit of housekeeping out of the way um, that might get lost at the very end of the show uh, when you tune out, when you think it's done, but yeah. we have our credits rolling, you know. Um, so be sure to subscribe and follow us on our socials, broadcast Podcast. And um, yeah, uh, I just mentioned that you're a bit more of a bass player than I am because... Well, I do have a bass here, and and I can play some tunes, um, but I never really learned it. I had one bass lesson in my life. I'm more of a cellist, um, but Randy, you were playing in a couple of bands already, um, and I've seen you live a couple of times with This Is Not An Elephant, the band who provides our theme music as well, by the way. Right. And... um, it's always great fun to see you play live, I have to say. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, and and um, yeah, I, I heard uh, I heard it through the grapevines that you're gonna yet you're working on something. <laughs> uh, yeah, you heard correct. So um, thank you for the lovely introduction. I feel like I'm being interviewed on the broadcast now. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I've played in a couple of bands here in Munich. Um, two that people might know are Tanner Till, uh, which had made two albums. And then most recently, This Is Not an Elephant. We released one album and a couple of singles last year. And due to Corona, we've been on a sort of in- indefinite hiatus just because there's there's no activity and not much can be done. So... We all took some time to work on some other musical projects, and um, yeah, that brings me to the one I've been working on. So I 
I don't want to call it a solo album because that sounds like it's going to be like noodly bass guitar all over the place, but it's more like a solo project, I guess. Um, and like it's like the one from uh, Or Lubianica, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe more like what what Or Or did because it's like maybe less what you expect as like a bass uh, solo album uh, might be, and mine is actually. It's a project called uh, Titan Agronomist's Project, and uh, I'll be writing and recording most of the instruments or programming some things like drums, uh, and then I'll be inviting you know, friends on to do solos and other kinds of performances. It's, it's going to be a four-part uh, EP series um, based on the sort of science fiction life of my grandfather. Uh, so anybody who follows my filmmaking may have seen my first documentary, The Dragons of Jim Green. And this, this project is going to be a kind of a concept project around his, his life and like the crazy stuff he experienced. So it'll be wow. a very sci-fi <laughs> sounding um, instrumental rock uh, epic cinematic uh, projects. So, yeah, thank you for the, giving me the opportunity to talk about it. It sounds totally up my alley. I can't wait. Um, but of course, uh, it's very interesting in that regard as well to know who your favorite bass players are and who are, have influenced you in your playing. Yeah. In um, fact, actually, while we were you know, Dario actually had the idea to do this episode and it was kind of good because of course there's going to be some some fancy noodly bass playing on on the records that I'm making. And it did make, make me think a lot about who are my influences and I mean, I hear them directly in the way I play, you know. Um, I don't think I'm somebody who like mimics other people but I, it's so clear to me that when I'm playing something, I'm like, yeah, I just totally <laughs> took that from, you know, one of my favorite bass players or something or the style or the way I hold the bass, you know, because I always learn from watching other people play. And so from the very first days of having a bass in my hand, I just looked at what, you know, my heroes were doing and I kind of copied that in a way. We, did, we, we decided to stick with three each. Right. Yeah. Um, three three bases. Yep. Three and I bases. actually stuck to the Prague uh, area, although my three favorite bases are Prague. So um, yeah, that kind of worked out. <laughs> yeah. Sa same here. But there's definitely some 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 broader uh, broader uh, work uh, in the in the whole over of the the bases. Uh, we're gonna talk about it in a second when we get to them. Uh, just. Maybe before we can get out of the way, a couple of honorable mentions that didn't make the cut. Oh. Uh, what do you think about that? <laughs> <clears throat> oh wow! Um, I okay. I can. I can, uh, Shall I throw one out there? Um, yeah, you can throw out a, like a couple that that you are really fond of and you really really like, but that just like just didn't make the cut. If you can think of 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 any like spontaneously, <laughs> I mean the one that comes to mind is I I uh, I hope I say the name right Lars Norberg from Spiral Architect. 
Yes. Um, wow. Yeah, be, just because um, before that album came out, I never listened to anything like that before, anything that had this sort of jazz fusion um, sound really, you know, mixed in. I didn't really listen to jazz fusion before that and still am not like a, a huge listener of that. But, you know, the way the way Neil Kernan mixed that record and the way he performed as, as a sort of lead instrument... Um, that had a big, big influence on me, maybe much to the chagrin of, of future <laughs> guitar players that I would work with and I would try to do some noodly stuff where it was not appropriate. <laughs> um, well, two, two of my honorable mentions that would fall into that category uh, would be uh, Sean Malone and Randy Coven, both uh, sadly yeah. passed away already. But I think both highly influential, especially fretless bass players, um, Even though their um, their discography is not as huge as others, maybe um, in the prog world, let's say I have no idea what kind of session work they might have done as well. Um, but um, Sean Malone was, of course, part of Cynic, um, and they were inventors and and they were genre defining uh, with their um, debut album at the beginning of the '90s, right? Yeah, and what Randy Coven did with Ark around the turn of the century uh, was for me uh, as groundbreaking. How he um, implemented the fretless bass into into the into a heavy complex uh, progressive metal setting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Sean um, Malone uh, definitely uh, Gordian Knot as well. His 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 solo project of sorts. Um, I always liked, um, I mean, he could riff with the best of them, but he, he often, you know, would lay back too in the mix and just like create this vibe. Um, and he certainly did that in Cynic and, and Gordian Knot. And yeah, there's great records. I would just throw out one more net, you know, since you like caught me off guard with this. Um, Dave LaRue is, is somebody who I, Every time I, you know, I always think he's underrated in a way. Like, uh, you know, we don't talk mm. about him as much because he's kind of a session guy, I think, and and really is kind of all over the place. But, um, you know, all the work that he's done, uh, like with Petrucci, for instance, uh, I always feel like it's it's kind of unfair uh, to for Dave LaRue to play with Petrucci because you then don't, you know, recognize that there's this amazing bass player. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, that's great. Great shout out. I mean, he's he's also known for his work with Dixie Drags, right? right? And 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 Flying Colors. Um, more recently, um, amazing bass player. Um, yeah, right. Before we start, I have uh, like I want to maybe mention that um, the three guys that I picked in the end, the three bass players that I picked are all three more in the you know progressive rock um, area at mm -hmm. home and but I wanted to give a quick shout out um, to yeah the new generation and like metal uh, prog metal as well that is still um, ever inventive as always in in the 2000 2010s and now going uh, into the uh, 2020s um there there's three particular uh names that I would want to mention that that I think stand out for me that would be 
Amos uh, from from Tesseract. Yep. Ilya John Lapin from from the Hirsch Effect mo- most recently blew my mind, and uh, also my base teacher Heiko Jung from Panzerballet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I, I mean, Amos is definitely yeah at the head of the a pack of of sort of you know driving modern sounds and. Um, yeah, yeah, he's also somebody I look up to uh, as a as somebody who is doing something maybe outside of my original heroes, you know, like creating like cutting new paths and stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, with that out of the way, um, <laughs> more than ten minutes in, I think it's time to 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 get to our original heroes that you just <laughs> mentioned. <laughs> you want to start or you want you you want me to start off? Uh, sure, I'll kick it off. Um yeah. so I would be um it would be uh wrong for me not to say that the very first bassist that ever influenced me who's not on my list here but has to get a shout out because it was like the reason I started playing bass was Jason Newstead uh, when he played in Metallica. And and so when I originally picked up the bass when I was 14, I got my first bass guitar on my 14th birthday, um, I started playing, you know, Metallica songs and playing with a pick like Jason Newstead. I even cut, you know, my hair like him back then. So shaved on the sides and long on the top, ponytail. Uh, and, you know, like I told you, I kind of mimicked my, fan, my, my, my favorite players. Um, but then, but then a band came along which changed my musical life, uh, and and definitely my bass playing life. And of course, Derry already knows who I'm going to say here. But you know, I discovered Dream Theater in '94 when uh, when they released Awake, and therefore discovered John Mayung. And the first time I saw him play was actually on the uh, live at the Marquee, not not live at the Marquee, the um, Images and Words uh, live uh, VHS tape, I think it was back then, when they played <laughs> live in Tokyo. Uh, and they were playing stuff from Images and Words and uh, When Day and Dream Unite. When, uh, dream, and, uh, when, when dream and Day Unite. I, I always mix uh, up the order there. Um, and then I saw John Mayung playing with his fingers. You know, he, he uses his, his, three, his three fingers... Uh, to play the bass. And when I saw him do that, I was just like, okay, I, I, I threw away the pick. I was like, I got I to gotta learn how to do this. And so for the next, I would say, two years, I just learned watching uh, John Mayong play and listening to Images of Words and Awake at that time. Uh, eventually, A Change of Seasons came out and... Uh, falling into infinity, but I would say like that the when I started playing bass, the first things I would do was would sit in front of my little CD player, and I didn't have there was no YouTube, I didn't have any sheet music, I just would listen and try to pick out the bass parts, and just play along to the CD, and uh, I didn't I may not even even had an amp back then, so <laughs> I was sh- surely playing everything incorrectly. But uh, that's how I started learning to play the bass, really, was uh, just listening to him play and listening to the style. One of the techniques that I still use a lot that I learned from him is tapping. Uh, 
So bass tapping is something I learned from playing Metropolis, you know, trying to play the solo in Metropolis. And um, yeah, so I have to say, first pick has to go to John Myung because I think if it wasn't for discovering Dream Theater and discovering his playing, I, I wouldn't be playing the music I play today for, for any reason, yeah. De definitely highly influential and the one that I knew would be on your list. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that tapping solo, of course, is um, it's is legendary and was and was uh, yeah very very influential. I think for 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 bass players uh, in heavy music in general. Um, I have a little little um, fanboy story. Um, <laughs> I, I have worked with uh, Jordan quite a bit and made several documentaries with him. And I also did an Images and Words documentary, which funny now that I'm talking about this and saying it out loud, that's kind of a funny full circle. I made a short um, Images and Words documentary, but we, we interviewed um, John Petrucci for, for, for the most of that and then used archive footage and then filmed the band live. But um, so I've I've met John Myung a few times, if if you can say that. Uh, but the only time where I really talked to him was I visited Jordan Rudis in the studio at Avalon Studios in Manhattan when they were making Systematic Chaos. Um, oh. We were we were talking about a project, and he said, "Well, I'm in the studio. Can you swing by and talk to me here about it?" And I went in, and and it was just him and John Myung were in the studio that day, and. Um, Jordan had to take a phone call or something, and he just turned to John, and he was like, Randy's a bass player. And, and then he walked out of the room, and he left me standing there with John Myung, and I was like, hi, <laughs> I play the bass. <laughs> and a um, little fun fact, you know, he was like, he went right into like uh, rig rundown mode, you know, which I, I find happens a lot when you meet musicians, and, you know, they don't know what to do, so you just start talking about gear. And he showed me that he was using the, uh, the the Ernie Ball Music Man basses. And that was totally new. And I was like, oh, when did you start playing those? Because he was, he was up until then, you know, he had like his own signature Yamaha basses. And um, in the studio, he was using Mesa Boogie amps and he had these Ernie Ball amps. And he was telling me, you know, he just, um, he discovered them and you know, didn't really want to be stuck with one, um, you know, one type of bass and really wanted to explore. And so he started using those. And I, I think that's all he's using now. You know, he's got his own signature model there now too. But that was kind of fun. I felt like I was um, privileged to to sort of see this, uh, that he was using these new basses, you know, before it was kind of public. So that was kind of a fun little fact. And And, and he, we were talking about amps, and he was like, he showed me, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm looking at this one amp from Mesa Boogie, and it was like a little practice amp, you know, because they're super expensive. And I was just looking for this, like, one little tiny one. And I mentioned, he's like, yeah, I never heard of that one. <laughs> 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 uh, that's my John Myung story. Wow. Um, yeah, you, you, you said the, 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 the thing that uh, cracked me up the most was I play the bass because um, <laughs> shout out to um, Seaman from Leprous who uh, played with Leprous uh, their um, coal bilateral weekend uh, recently. And at one point, Einar was, was saying, hey, uh, uh, Seaman, say something. And he just went to the mic and said, 
I play the bass. It was such an iconic <laughs> moment. Uh, a phenomenal bass me. player as well. <laughs> Great. All right, Derry, I've spent enough time talking about Jai Young. Who's who's your mm-hmm. first pick? My first pick is actually someone um last time I saw him and talked to him was actually when the two of us were also together in the room together with Jordan Rudess and oh. so it's Jonas Reingold oh, yeah. from the Flower Kings originally um he still plays with the Flower Kings but I have to admit I was never a big fan of the Flower Kings to begin with but when I first heard uh, his stuff with Car Mechanic, his own solo band, so to speak, is more of a band than a solo project. But it is his band and his compositions, and um, especially the the, the first uh, the first two three records already they they were quite mind blowing for me. Um, 2002, 2004, and 2008, respectively, entering the Spectra, Wheel of Life, and Who's the Boss in the Factory. And um, that's where I really, really got to um, admire his bass playing, um, both in a... Um, in a in a in a in a um, songwriting sense, where he's the songwriter, but also... There's like some little stunt um, instrumentals on Wheel of Life. There's a Do You Tango, uh, which is like really breakneck speed uh, on the fretless bass. Um, or on Entering the Spectra, he he did the little uh, Bach um, um, adaptation of the cello suite of, of one of the cello suites. And uh, but then there's also I think it, yeah it was also on on um, Wheel of Life there's a tiny little song called Hind by and there he it, it there he kind of tells a little story simply with a very very simple melody on his fretless bass which uh, is like like a very beautiful little theme and um it's it's also an instrumental and even even the band has uh, Guran Edman on vocals a killer vocalist and and um but then there's also these these little uh, instrumentals where the bass takes the, the the lead and um yeah he uh deservedly rightfully um earned his spot in the solo band of Mr. Steve Hackett of course oh, yeah. and um he he um earned this spot so to speak or or he inherited it from other uh great bass players like Lee Pomeroy, Nick Bags and his Flower Kings bandmate Roy Nestolt. <laughs> um so yeah, he's playing with one of the greats, and for me, he is one of the greats. He, he even though he he only joined the Flower Kings in 1999, I think um, his his output uh, in the last 20 years uh, has been phenomenal. Just last year, he put out a very very fun uh, jazz fusion album with his new project, The Backstage, which he did with. Um, 
with with drummer um I always forget his name. <laughs> Craig Craig Blundell. Craig Craig from, Blund Craig Blundell. From, yes. From 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 uh Stephen Wilson band. Yep. And um I think uh, the saxophonist is called Pete Townsend, who's also playing in Steve Hackett's band. And there they had all sorts of um, very, very famous guest musicians as well. Um, so, yeah, just listen to Do You Tango. It's It doesn't get any better than that for for, for a breakneck speak, Do You Tango, uh, breakneck speak, uh, Fretless um, roller coaster ride, and um, but yeah. In addition to that, there's also like a songwriting uh, master masterful thing going on for me in Car Mechanic. So especially for his work in Car Mechanic, um, I that's why I included Jonas Reingold as as my first pick. Yeah, awesome. Um, you you dropped Nikki Beggs's name in there, and uh, I would Kai Kai our our friend Kai would just kill me if I wouldn't give an honorable mention to Nick Beggs, who is an incredible bass player and Absolutely. all around crazy fun guy. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah definitely definitely shout out to him. I actually listened a lot to Nick Beggs's performance on Luminol uh, and Stephen Wilson's. Uh, record uh, the uh, the Raven that refused to sing uh, yeah. to um, to get inspiration for for uh, like the production sound of my solo projects. So uh, okay, my my next pick um, is is actually kind of like moving along in my development as a bass player. Um, I don't know that you would expect this one, but my next pick uh, definitely has to go to Martin Mendez from Opeth. Um, I think he's just one. He's just so in the pocket and and just grooves in a certain way. And I would I would definitely reference. Um, I wanted to pick an album for each of these of each of these guys to to share as like an, a jumping point for my inspiration. Images and words was for John Myung and for Martin Mendez. It would actually be Damnation because. Uh, the bass takes a pretty big role on that record. It's you know kind of an acoustic, yeah, yeah, not acoustic per se, but you know lighter record. And his role, you know, locking in with the drums plays like a bigger part because it's not you know masked by a bunch of distortion and chaos uh, <laughs> and growling and stuff. And I I think I learned a lot from his playing on that record, and I also learned. Uh, I kind of fell in love with the sound of the Fender jazz bass because of Martin Mendez. I now play Fender jazz basses because of him. Um, <laughs> I was playing Spectre basses when I uh, when I when I got my first real bass. I was playing effect, uh, Spectre uh, five string Rebop five, and um, but then when I really got into Martin Mendez and started learning from watching him play and and just you know, the choices he makes and how he slides on the neck and how he keeps the groove and, and like the low end. And also his kind of like, he's a bit like my young and his like understatedness, right? Like that he's not like a showy bass player, 
but um also also his personality i mean we we had uh we were lucky to have him on one of the episodes uh i was lucky enough to to talk to him when opeth were here in munich like one and a half years ago maybe yep. in in the fall of 2019 uh, so definitely go back to check out that episode if you if you're interested in listening to um Martin Mendes uh, story <laughs> yeah i mean it's kind of one of the nice uh interviews that you know often when people interview somebody from Opeth it's often Mikhail so yeah. actually getting an interview with Al- almost every time it's like <laughs> he's, yeah he's, he's, and he's he also everywhere. teased white stones his his like death metal project uh yeah. on on the show with you that was that was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, so he's now a, a, a Sandberg player. Um, he's using Sandberg basses. They just released this like past month or so his um, signature series, which is like amazing looking. And of course, it's Sandberg, <laughs> so it's like handmade in the U.S. and super expensive. Um, but uh, what a great what a great collaboration! And yeah, I still play the jazz bass because of <laughs> Martin Mendez. <laughs> yeah wow right um surprising but then again not (laughs) (laughs) i think uh in in fact you know i don't want to give that away keep going your 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 next pick well actually the the my, my 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 last pick is also a fender uh uh precision jazz bass player but he also plays some other stuff my next pick is I'm pretty sure you 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 didn't see that coming. Uh you you wouldn't expect that. Um because he had actually a pretty short stint in the prog world and was mostly a, a session player for the likes of Madonna, Michael Jackson, Tom Jones, Gary Moore, what you name it. I'm talking about Guy Pratt. Yeah. Who used to choice. play with Pink Floyd and um, yeah, Delicate Sound of Thunder, the live album um, is the was my gateway drug to progressive music, and his bass playing caught my ear immediately on first listen, and um, yeah, for as a reference, I want I want to mention the song Sorrow. Um, coincidentally, one of Michael Ockerfeld's uh, uh, favorite words, <laughs> <laughs> um, which was from the '80s album uh, "Momentary Lapse of Reason." Um, well, they like, yeah, his bass runs there is it's just so beautiful, and um, yeah, he there there is there is something something magic about his his playing for me and um to be honest I haven't checked out all of his stuff I just when I just looked up his uh Wikipedia page I um found out that he was also part of Toy Matinee with Kevin Gilbert with, with, and I was never aware of that connection. Okay. Um um, but yeah, most recently he had also he also played with uh, with Nick Mason's "Sosa Full of Secrets," 
Um, so there, the the Pink Floyd um, connection also comes full circle. Um, but yeah, his live rendition of the, all the Pink Floyd songs on Delicate Sound of Thunder and Pulse, just masterful. And this, this these are live records, but I prefer a lot of those versions to the original studio versions. I have to say. Yeah, his his live <laughs> performance too is like, you know, I mean, Pink Floyd as a live entity, you know, it's, there's so much going on visually and lights and and people are sort of standing in place and doing their thing <laughs> and being like uber professional musicians. And he always has this little bit of like youthfulness, like bopping around on stage and like yeah. cutting jokes. And uh, I read his, uh, his biography um, this past year. I bought it when I went to London just before the pandemic started. And then so I read it over the pandemic and it's just a hoot, man. Like his <laughs> life and like the crazy stuff he gets into. He's always like the youngest in the group, you know? So he's always a little bit like the most crazy and, and, and wild. And, um, <laughs> it, it's, and there's some, there's some really great fun stories that he, <laughs> oh man, he talked about this one time. I have to say this one thing that he said. He was talking about working. He said every um he he always missed I'm trying to remember how he put it, but basically um Tony like every job he ever got was because Tony Levin played was not available. <laughs> <laughs> So Tony Levin would always come in and do the Pink Floyd record, and then they would need somebody to go on tour. So they call Guy, <laughs> and it was just, it just cracked me up all the time. He's always like chasing after like the the Tony Levin job. You know what I mean? Like getting in behind him. Which you know, if we're going to give an honorable mention, we also got to mention Tony Levin, of course, by all. Yeah, um, and. Yeah, great pick, uh, and I recommend his his book. It's 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 hilarious, and, yeah, and for uh, Pink Floyd fans, I think it's there's a lot of great stuff because a lot of it covers, you know, those years that he was touring with them. Yeah, what's your next pick? Okay, so my last pick is like moving along in my progression here. Uh, one of my uh, what I wanted to say before was my three favorite bass players actually coincide with my three favorite bands, so. No surprise there. Um, my third pick is Dan Briggs from Between the Buried and Me. And and not just because Between the Buried and Me. So Dan is doing all kinds of projects, including, of course, Nova Collective, um, Orbs, um, Nightmare Scenario is like his solo project. It's like ambient, cinematic weirdness. Um, Triosscapes is the album I'm choosing here. The album Digital Dream Sequence is my like go-to album for talking about Dan today. Um, and then he most recently just dropped last week, I think, a new record um, with a group called Disorder Assembly. It's an eight-member uh, jazz experimental crazy thing. It's going to be wow. You're gonna I have no. I had no idea. Yep, it just I, dropped I, I, Friday. I, I, I think I, I, um, I have to. I have to check it out. Yeah. Um, <sighs> so, 
Dan Briggs. Why Dan Briggs? So I actually, when I listen to Dan, I actually hear a lot of like Mayung, actually, like John Mayung style. Um, and I had the chance to interview him for Freaks TV. We did uh, an episode of Into the Machine with Between the Buried and Me, and him and I nerded out a little bit about uh, about Dream Theater. And But Dan, I think, is like, you know, somebody who may have taken, like, stuff that he learned from from John Mayung and took it to another level. Because John Mayung, for me, also, as the years went on, um, you know, got a little bit more in the background, uh, you know, as a, as a character in the band and also as a performer, also in the mixes, sometimes I find that John Mayung gets a bit lost in the arrangement and stuff like that. And Dan is somebody who I feel like is with all these projects that he does and the way that he plays, he's always like striving for like new stuff and like experimenting with sounds and, you know, soundscapes and the way that he composes his bass lines in Between the Buried and Me is, I mean, it's like an orchestra, that band, you know, because they, <laughs> there's so much going on and yet he's always... You know, he's never just like, um, you know, Steve DiGiorgioing speed, speed fingering, you know, at, as fast as the guitars. He's always like coming in with some counter melody or creating his own like melodic leads as the basis underneath and just holding down like the low end. And so he, I would say, of 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 the basis is somebody that's inspired me a lot in the last, say, seven years since I really got into the band. I guess I got into the band like ten years ago, but that that Dan like really started to inspire me as a player, and definitely with uh, Triosscapes because there, it's drums, bass, and saxophone, tenor sax maybe, um, and it's quite amazing what they do with it because although it's very like jazz fusion-y, it's kind of like prog metal too, you know? It's yeah. like there's, it's like a modern prog metal album, but in a kind of jazz trio setting. And it gives them a lot of space to use a lot of effects on the bass, on the saxophone, and a lot of experimentation with the way it's mixed and the way they write together and the way the bass is allowed to also be a kind of lead instrument. And so um, he Dan is a Spectre bass player, uh, which was the bass I played before I <laughs> Martin mendez over to the jazz bass. And uh, so, and I still like the sound that he gets with the, with the Spectre bass. Like I, I dig his sounds and um, yeah, I think he's, He's he's one of our like modern bass heroes, and but he's he's not somebody that sounds necessarily like a modern bassist. And if you, I think if you listen, look at the three people I chose today, uh, the a theme is is that none of them have that modern bass sound. What what's become very common in the you know, like metal world is the is the kind of um, periphery Adam Nolly um, kind of bass sound? This like using like dark glass pedals and having this very distorted mashuga type bass sound, 
And while I use dark glass pedals because they're amazing, <laughs> um, <laughs> I still tend to lean more towards this sort of organic sounding, um, bass sounding bass guitar. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not opposed to the other sound, but as a player myself, like, I sometimes miss the dynamics and the performance of a bassist when it's so compressed with all those distortions. Yep. Um, yeah. So, and and I, I think Dan, when it comes to dynamics, is one of the most dynamic um, prog metal players that he really can go from, you know, in your face, ripping, distorted, you know, solos to... Yeah, like fretless, like chill, you know, and everything in between. And um, that dynamic is something that I strive for in my playing, and he's he's my go-to for that. <laughs> Great. Yeah, wow. This was very interesting that you kind of took an opposite uh, route than I did because you were kind of going forward in your musical history. I'm kind of going backwards. Um not necessarily chronologically for me, but definitely chronologically in the in the time the 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 people popped up in the music business. And the reason why I stayed so quiet when you did your little <laughs> shout out is that I'm gonna talk a little bit about Tony Levin now. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> <laughs> this is hilarious. Guy, guy, if Guy ever hears this episode, <laughs> hey, at least he gave Guy a, the first position, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Tony Levin. What, what, what's, what's to be said about him? He played with, uh, either with actually the band or with members of all the big prog bands from the 70s he, he's he's been a part of peter gabriel bands s since 1977 uh he's been part of king crimson on and off until now since 1981 um he has played on a couple of pink floyd albums or most notably <laughs> a momentary lapse of reason at the end uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, towards the end of the 80s um, he has played with Yes on the Union album through the Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman and Ho um, uh, project this guy is just so amazing and he, he's been so influential and he's been so boundary pushing as well um, in terms of playing styles um, I mean I, I Yeah, I, I, I just, uh, like, preparing for this episode, I, I of course, I did a little research and uh, finding out that he actually, before he joined Peter Gabriel's band in 1977, he started out, like, as a rhythm uh, entity together with Steve Gadd. And um, he also played together with Buddy Rich before wow. he even started making a, a, a name for himself in the in the broader uh prog world with with uh with Peter Gabriel's band and and then this the, his career has been just really illustrious and um all all the while he never forgot to do his own stuff like or he never neglected his own stuff and 
especially in uh, in more recent years where all these you know these old bands like I mean, King Crimson has uh, are more active uh, have has been more active uh, in the last years um, up until uh, 2020 of course uh, than they have been um, in the 2010s um, again but I have the feeling in the last 20 years he's been so active with with a lot of small pro smaller smaller projects and he has uh put out amazing stuff with the uh, stickman um and yeah that leads me also to his versatility because he um like, he's not only a bass player he he uh, of course he's also very um he he he, he plays the upright bass as well um and um he played he he made the chapman stick a kind of uh a, an instrument that is recognized as a not being that exotic anymore <laughs> um but still pushing boundaries with with the techniques and and he also developed his own like funky fingers with that slap sound so he he he's been technically inventive all over the place uh in his uh, uh long career and and he's still going strong i mean we just had the third liquid tension experiment album dropping last week and man what a ride it is this guy yeah. is 74 now and it just doesn't let up he's like it's jaw dropping seriously yeah. um um yeah, he of course he has played with a lot of uh, uh, people outside of the prog world as a session bass player, but but all his prog stuff is just uh, of the highest caliber, and um, it was such a joy to 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 hear him on Liquid Tension Experiment Three, and. Um, for for the more song oriented stuff um i also like to uh, uh give a shout out to peter gabriel's up um the last uh uh regular peter gabriel's studio album actually from almost 20 years ago um but there's some beautiful bass work on there um so yeah he he played with he had the project with with Bozio Levin Stevens uh, with with Terry Bozio, so he he played with almost all the big names in, in drumming and and as you know as a bassist the rhythm section has to form a tight unit and there has to be a like a chemistry right. between the those two to for it to really work and um, yeah this guy is is just amazing he's he's not guy pratt but he's <laughs> the one guy pratt chases after no just kidding i can't compare those two because guy pratt for me is so so specific for for these two albums um delicate sound of thunder and pulse and where, whereas um like there's such a richness to tony levin's uh uh oeuvre over the last 50 years or what yeah um so yeah i mean there's no there's no prog based lists that would be complete without tony levin and that the lte3 
Yeah, I mean, I hear that and I'm just like, wow. I mean, it's just so inspiring and, you know, the Chapman stick stuff, the upright bass solo thing that he does with 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 Portnoy with all those like n- growls and nasty sounds. And yeah, I mean, he's another one just pushing pushing the bass always forward and creating new sounds. So yeah. Great pick. <laughs> yeah. That, that that was that was so interesting that you're you're you 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 picked three prog metal people straight and I had three prog rock um greats there. Yeah. Very very, I mean, very to, interesting. It's hard of course to choose um you know favorites, but I, I think actually for me it wasn't that hard because uh, because of their influence on my playing, you know, like uh, I had to go with the people that I think had the most influence in, in how I play. Yeah. Yeah, great, great, great idea for an episode. I hope you guys stuck with us to the end. It was a bit of a long session, but um, certainly rewarding for me. <laughs> for me as well, it was as much fun as I expected it to be. And, uh, yeah, I hope we'll, we'll we'll get to do this another time or something like this. Um, we'll see. Anyway, we we'll, we're gonna come back with our Friday top five tomorrow. Yep. Right, and um, then we'll see what the next episodes will bring. Thank you guys so much for listening. And as I said at the very beginning, I will say it again. Please follow us on our socials, broadcast podcast on. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And as always, take care of yourselves, take care of your loved ones, and listen to great bass music. Slap that bass, stereo. Progcast is a Stuus Media podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Progcast Podcast. To learn more about Stuus Media, check out stuusmedia.com. Progcast is hosted and produced by Dario Albrecht and myself, Randy M. Salo, and is co-produced by Janine Stengel-Lewis and Blake Lewis. Our theme music is by This Is Not An Elephant. New episodes of Progcast drop every Monday and Thursday, and don't miss our Friday Top 5 episode where we discuss our favorite albums that drop that week. See you next time, Prog fam. Thank you.